Well, good morning and happy new year. Glad to see everybody here this morning. When I preach, I always do something at the very beginning. Some of you have been here for that. And until I get a cease and desist order from the person that I've told and stolen this from, I will continue to do it. But we're going to pray for three things this morning. If you would with me, please pray that the Lord will be with us in this place, even though we already know he is here with us, um, that he will take the distractions that we have brought with us from last year into this year and just take them away from us for a little bit. And then if you would just please pray for me as well. We'll take about 30 seconds. I don't keep track. I don't have a stopwatch or anything. But then we'll pray together. Is that okay? Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being willing to come down to this earth and be with us, to commune with us, not just in the garden, not just when you lived on this earth, but right now we are in the midst of your presence. Thank you so much. Lord, I ask that you would be with us this morning as we take a couple of minutes, as we pause from the world that comes around us and and tries to distract us and take those things away from us that would keep us from hearing what you would have us hear this morning. Father, I ask that you would just use me this morning as well. May it be your words that speak through me and not my own that, uh, that we hear this morning. Thank you so much for your love. In your name we pray, amen. As we begin this new year, probably several of you, I know I was one of them, stayed up late on Thursday night into Friday morning to welcome in another year of life, which seems crazy because it seems like we just did that a couple of weeks ago. But it's not quite the case. We're here again, another new year. And with that, I hear people talking in the streets and at my house about resolutions, about things that they want to do this year, maybe differently than last year, or maybe um, just make something new happen. That's one of the best things about the new year. It gives us an opportunity to start fresh. It's like, oh, this new beginning. We can think about all the things that didn't go right last year, and we can try to do things that that don't follow that. So we turn that page. We wipe the slate clean. We kind of start over as we kind of grow in our own lives, in our new lives. Um, I know some of you have new goals. I have some new goals as well. Um, I, I try not to make resolutions anymore because I am like those um, 50% of Americans that don't make it past June. I'm more like the, you know, 20% that don't make it past January 5. But anyway, I try not to make resolutions because they just don't seem to go well for me. But I have made some resolutions in my life. Um, but I have goals that I want to try to produce as well. One of the goals that I have this year um, is for, you know, maybe losing a couple more pounds of weight. Those are popular, by the way. There's several popular ones. Um, I want to be more organized this year. Um, That's something that I strive for on a consistent basis because I've never come to that perfection of being the most organized person in the world. Um, So I want to continue working on that. Um, I have a goal of actually moving into our house. Um, We've lived in the house for almost two years. Um, We've signed paperwork and own it as our own as of a couple of months ago. But now it's kind of time to move into it and unpack some of those boxes that have been out there. And um, so it would be nice to be actually able to see things in a a different place. So that would be good. Those are some personal goals that I have that don't really affect much about anything other than myself and my family. Um, But I also have some spiritual goals that I have for this coming year. Um, Deep down inside, I know as a leader in this church how important it is for my own spiritual life Um, to be healthy and to have a healthy church body. 
So spiritual goals. I don't say that from ego um, because I, I know that I'm not perfect. Um, I know that this church can function without me. I know that I am not irreplaceable, and I never will be. But I do also know that I have imperfections. My wife could tell you, go ahead and actually don't go ahead and ask her. That wouldn't be good. I know that if I'm not growing spiritually, though, it will be likely reflected in this church where I pastor. I know the harm that it can do to the kingdom of God if I do not reflect the character of Jesus more and more in my life. I know my personal needs to grow closer to him and closer to the likeness of Jesus every day. So as an ongoing major, not New Year's resolution, but New Year's resolution that I made many years ago, is to work on my spiritual growth, to work on growing spiritually. Now before you say, what does that have to do with me, or before you think, I'm glad to hear that, every church needs a pastor or pastoral staff that are growing in their spiritual relationships with the Lord. I hope that you understand the need for your own spiritual growth as well. My growth as a spiritual leader does not translate 100% or automatically mean that you will grow spiritually either. There's a part that you get to play in that process. I hope that you too will set your own spiritual growth goals today. Maybe you have already, and that was, that's great, that's fantastic. But it is important because we are all to grow as disciples of Jesus. We are all to gain spiritual maturity. Let me read some passages to you to help you as we look and develop um, the fruit of the Spirit maybe in our own lives. If you have your Bibles, that's fine. I'm not going to take a lot of time to wait, but Second Peter 2, 2 through 3, if you want to turn there with me. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, says, Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, my own kids now don't still nurse, right? But I remember when they did that every couple of hours they were like ready to eat, right? Some of you have kids and you remember those things. If you're a kid, you probably don't remember that because you were too young to have memories. Um, They're in there somewhere. They're just not accessible to you. But every couple of hours they craved it. They needed it. They desired it. And so that's how we, we should be. But as babies grow up, what happens? They need something a little bit more, don't they? So Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, it says this, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. As those babies grow up, they desire something a little bit more. They want some Good, hard, hearty foods. So we start them out on these, you know, liquefied diets of chopped up peas and all that kind of stuff. And then they get a little bit older and then they start craving, you know, breads and it's like solid foods. And, and now, before you know it, we all see that as kids, they constantly want to eat that. They don't want to go back to the little baby mixes of food, do they? That would be kind of odd, in fact. As parents, we tasted those things and we wondered what happened. Why would we ever eat that stuff? But babies like it, right? 
So it's hard to, it's hard to think about going back. We wouldn't want to go back as, as a spiritually mature person to those little sucklings of nothingness that we were kind of receiving when we were young in the faith. We need something more to sustain us. We should be challenging ourselves a little bit more. The, the writer of Hebrews goes on to write in chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. We are called to become mature followers of Jesus Christ. It, it's a natural process over time. It, does, it doesn't just happen overnight that we take one thing, it, the babies too. It didn't happen overnight that they were ready to eat the milk and then my favorite Christmas dinner of lasagna. That doesn't happen overnight. There's a little bit of a process that takes place in between. It's just like that with our spiritual growth. Um, but we shouldn't want to stay in that same place either. Let me illustrate with a couple of uh, sports analogies because I'm a sports nut and I like that. If you're not, I'm sorry, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. Um, I'm going to say this in a way that's not offensive even though I'm pretty sure that I am absolutely 100% correct. I think that one of the greatest receivers of all time is Jerry Rice. Now, I also grew up a 49ers fan long before I knew Chad, so don't think that I just want to be on the same page with him. Um, I grew up in an era in a household that didn't really do sports, but I was a sports fanatic. So I watched sports on Sunday because that's what, you know, football is all about, Sunday. Um, and, and when I was growing up, the 49ers were the best team in the league. Um, I'm also not apologetic about that. They just were. They, they can show you by the record. And so that was what was on TV every week. And I wasn't a Redskins fan because they were not the best in the league. Um, so I kind of gravitated towards those better teams because that's what you saw. And I became enamored with those people. Um, anyway, Jerry Rice, greatest receiver of all time, um, I think. Anyway, he is. He still owns over 100 NFL records, by the way. Um, and he's been retired for several years now, um, even, in fact, being inducted into the Hall of Fame on his first ballot, which isn't hard to believe. Um, you know, some of the three, probably the three greatest records that he holds is the career receiving receptions, um, his career receiving yards, and his career receiving touchdowns, which is phenomenal, even though he's retired now. Um, now, Jerry Rice had some natural ability for sports, but he wasn't actually the best, even in his draft class, receiver. He wasn't even taken number one overall. He didn't get taken until the 16th spot in the draft because there were other people that looked like they were better than him, that, that they thought would be better receivers or better at their position. And um, so he had to wait, wait around a little bit. But his natural skill... Um, those other people's natural skill matched up with Jerry Rice. But something that Jerry Rice had that those others didn't was his desire and his work ethic. He became great because he worked as hard during the off-season on his craft as he did during the season. It wasn't enough for him to say, oh, for 16 weeks or 18 weeks out of the year, I'm going to work really hard at something. He persevered the entire year long, even in his off-season, even when he could have been laying around or going and playing golf on a consistent basis, he was out working out. He was out doing something that would make him better um, so that he could distinguish himself on the field. Um, his physical, few physical skills were ever, will ever grow with infrequent usage. The only physical skill that I think will grow with infrequent usage is the way that our bellies grow as we do nothing. And I'm not sure that that's a physical skill. It just kind of happens naturally. Um, it's the same with our spiritual growth. It's not going to grow if we're not doing something. 
It's not going to grow if we're just sitting around waiting for us to get better at this thing that we call Christianity. Another illustration is Michael Jordan. Possibly, and again, I'm, I'm trying to be nice about this, but the greatest basketball player of all time to have ever taken the court was once asked about how, he, how it felt to hit so many game-winning shots. And his reply was this, I've missed more shots than I've made. Michael Jordan drove himself to seek perfection on the court. Just as Christians, we should have that same drive spiritually. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he says, Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We may stumble a little bit on that word perfection because it's something that, that, that just is... It's, oh man, it's hard to attain perfection. So we kind of don't really want to go there sometimes. Unless maybe you have one of those enormous egos in this world that allows you to think that you're the greatest. Um, you know, when I think about that word, the greatest, I think of Muhammad Ali, who'd run around the, the world saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest of all time. Well, good for him. But in fact, he wasn't perfect and he wasn't absolutely the greatest either. But how can you and I um, be perfect, you might be asking yourself. The problem is that we see perfection as the end result of a process. However, the New Testament meaning of the word perfection is talking about the process itself. Perfection isn't something that we will ever attain on our own. It's something that God works out through me over time. If you have an updated New International Version of the Bible, um, I think you might see what Paul is talking about. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 in the New uh, International Version. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow in maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love will the love then the God of love and peace will be with you. It should be noted here that the aim of perfection is not just something for some believers or church leaders or pastors. It's not just something for new believers to strive for. It's something that all believers are called to become. That's why part of our purpose here is that we help each other grow in maturity as followers of Jesus. Let me also add that I will never mature spiritually, or we will never mature spiritually, if our only spiritual practice is sitting here on Sabbath morning. Worship together is really important. Don't get me wrong. It is definitely important for us to come together. But it is not the only way, nor is it the best way, for us to grow in maturity. That's why we help to provide as leaders in the church opportunities for growth outside the sanctuary, outside of these Sabbath morning worships. We have Tuesday morning studies that study the Bible. We have a men's group that comes together and, and studies the word and then watches football. And some people, I think, may get that a little bit wrong in the way that they perceive that. Our men's group, we study the Bible we actually end up studying the Bible longer than we watch the football game on a typical night. Um, we study for an hour and a half before the game starts, and we watch usually up until halftime, which the game has already started by the time we start watching, and then everybody kind of goes their own way because it gets late. But anyway, um, it's, it's a good time to come together and grow. Um, we have the 10 days of prayer coming up that I hope each of you that, that are here will be willing to come if you could come to all 10 nights, that would be fantastic. If you could only come to five nights, that would be fantastic as well, with opportunities to grow 
in our spiritual lives. We provide opportunities for our kids at the school. We have pathfinders and adventurers, various programs that we put on as youth, Bible studies that happen constantly, you know, baptismal studies, and then beyond. We move beyond baptismal studies after baptism and move into just studying the word. We believe that you, my, our own spiritual growth is important, and so we try to provide opportunities. But even that isn't quite enough. There needs to be some part that you play on your own as well. What does that look like? I want you to remember this phrase more and more. And, and one of the things that I, that I like to do with my, my kids when I'm studying or my students when I'm studying with them is, is try to help this concept grow in their hearts as well. That, that we, we all start at some point with our relationship with Christ. We don't all of a sudden come to this immaculate spiritual place and have this halo around our heads unfortunately. I wish it did happen that way, but it doesn't. But we all start our spiritual journeys in a spot. And, and my purpose with these young people is to help them to realize, and, and us as well as, as older people here too, um, that we should ne- never be satisfied where we are at in our spiritual journeys. If we're here today, tomorrow we should want to strive to be here. And maybe we don't make it there, maybe we only make it a little way, but we want to grow in our spiritual walk. We should never be satisfied if I'm at the same place today that I was yesterday. I should be not satisfied. I should be trying to enhance that relationship with Christ. Um, the same way with a person. You know, when you, when you make friends, when you come into contact with people, um, if, if you met somebody today and you don't talk to them for a year and then you see them again, you're, not, you're probably not going to go over to them and give them a great big hug and, and talk about all the things that you've missed with each other, you know. You haven't really developed that relationship with them. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes intentionality on your part and on their part to to make that relationship work. I I feel like I'm pretty confident in saying that God has done his part in making that relationship available to us, and now it's kind of up to us to um, do that other part, to play our part in that relationship. Um, So I want you to remember this phrase more and more. So how do I know if I'm growing as a follower of Jesus? I'll give you some indicators um, from the scriptures that we have looked at. This is not a comprehensive list from these verses, by the way. That would take more time than you would be willing to give me on a Saturday morning. But these are a couple. There are many other indicators of growth that we have seen in the passages that we could talk about also. But here are just a few. Um, And you will also notice, again, this phrase more and more, um, that each of these are prefaced by that phrase. Okay, indicator number one of spiritual growth. I can find joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul says to be joyful. Joy is a mark of a mature follower. In fact, one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Christians produce, produce joy. In 2 Peter 2, 3, Peter says that we have tasted that the Lord is good because we know salvation. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can have joy and peace. It's, if, if it's true that we have tasted the sweetness of salvation that God provides to us in Jesus Christ, then the sweetness of God's goodness helps prevent the taste of bitterness. I want to suggest that the follower of Jesus who, is quick, who quickly becomes bitter on life's journey is one who has forgotten the sweet taste of salvation. Just examine your own experiences in your life. Have you noticed Ever, have you ever noticed how many ex-Christians are bitter about something or seem to harbor something that, that something maybe happened wrong to them? Bitterness and following do not fit together. 
but joy and peace and following do. I hope that doesn't sound judgmental. It's not meant to sound judgmental at all. That's not my point. What I'm saying is that the one who is growing in maturity can look past the difficulties of life that we often experience to see the gift of salvation that God provides. In spite of the things that are going on in our lives, the gift of salvation should be able to take us to a point where we can look past the things of this earth. Even if it's a bad situation, we can look past that. Take a moment and look at yourself. More and more, do I find joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances? Can I find joy and a sense of peace even though I've lost my job? Can I find joy and peace in the midst of cancer or arthritis or some other physical ailment? Can I find joy and peace even in the midst of the sorrow of not being able to conceive a child? Can I find joy and peace even in the midst of the loss of someone that I love? More and more, we should find ourselves able to rejoice even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. That's the first indicator. And, and, and I want to make sure that we're not tying joy and happiness together. Because I can be sad over the loss of a loved one and yet still be able to find joy because of my salvation in Christ. The number two indicator of spiritual growth, more and more, can I find myself encouraging rather than being critical? Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, says one of the things we should do in growing is to encourage. The fruit a growing follower will produce is patience, kindness, and gentleness. Encouragement can take patience. Um, another word for, used here is forbearance. I love that word, forbearance. It's a predecision to bear someone else's load. It's a predecision to maintain an attitude of kindness. In kindness, we build up courage or encourage someone. Encouragement brings hope into sharp focus to others. This one is so difficult because in this world, it is easy to discourage. Sometimes it's easier to discourage than it is to encourage. And I know when we get discouraged, it is easier to invite others to be with us, isn't it? Misery loves company. Discouragement in ourselves often, often leads us to discourage others. And often we end up voicing our discouragement in the form of criticism. That kind of criticism is usually far from gentle. I find that ironic because the word critical has meanings on two different levels. Critical can mean to evaluate, but it can also mean an evaluation of importance. An airplane has many different systems. It has secondary systems, non-critical systems, and it also has critical systems. Critical systems are the ones that you don't want to lose, especially in flight. The wings of an airplane are a critical system. If you're in the middle of a flight and the the plane wings fall off, there's going to be a problem. That's a critical system. There are other systems in an airplane that are not so critical. You know, even though they might seem like it, if a pilot loses voice control with the tower, that's not the end of the world. You're probably not going to crash. But if the engine stopped running, that's not good. Since that is true, let me ask you this. Should we not focus our criticisms on critical things? Should we not evaluate specifically those things that are vital. 
I have found in my experiences that a lot of criticisms we share um, are about inane or maybe some unimportant things. It happens far too often in churches in general or people in general or places in general. And to be honest, it happens probably far too often in this church as well. I'm not, in, I'm not immune to the criticism bug. I've discovered in my own life that I have to also rein in some criticisms or also sometimes take criticisms. I'm learning that one. It's not always easy to take criticism. Sometimes it feels like a personal attack. And so you want to throw up those defenses. You have to try to rein those in a little bit and learn to, it's not necessarily a personal thing. It's just meant to help you grow. That's the follower. The follower that is maturing more and more finds himself or herself with words of encouragement rather than words of criticism. Now we can take this to an extreme and say we should never say anything in any way that could be seen as critical. That's not also what I'm saying. We should not be critical. We shouldn't not be critical about anything or everything. But if we find ourselves constantly criticizing, we better evaluate the importance of what we are criticizing and see if there are ways to encourage rather than to discourage. So maybe ask ourselves this. If people were to overhear your conversation in the coffee shop or at a restaurant, would they hear hope and courage or would they hear discouragement in the form of criticism? Number three, sign of spiritual growth. More and more, I find myself on the same page as those who are spiritually mature. Again, Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 um, says, we are to be of one mind. Part of that is to be in harmony with those who are leading us. When we trust spiritually, the spiritually mature, we produce more and more faithfulness in ourselves. The tough part of being on the same page is this. Even when we don't understand the direction, we have to trust that those that we have chosen as leaders to guide us because we trust their spiritual maturity. We stay on the same page. What often happens is we become like backseat drivers. How many of you love backseat drivers? Most of us don't. My mom, and I can talk about her this morning because she didn't choose to come, so I will talk about her. My mom is the queen of backseat drivers, which is just so funny because, you know, when I get in her passenger seat, I become just like her. Oh, that's a scary thought. Um, I find that times that, that... the problem with that backseat driving concept is the perspective shift. Sometimes we are so used to driving that when we are looking out from a different seat, it is difficult for us to let go. It's difficult to, for us to see the control that they have, that there's that parallax error. It might look like from that passenger seat that you're about to run into the car that's in front of you. But in fact, if you were in the driver's seat, you realize that there is plenty of room that there's not even a close there's not even a close call my mom if I was driving a car right now and she was sitting in my passenger seat would probably think I was about to run through that back glass that's just the way she is and that's okay it's just her perspective but it's kind of that same way in leadership the people that we have in leadership have life's experiences and I trust that they are spiritually mature I hope that they are striving to continue to grow as well. And those in leadership, I hope that you can come along with us as we are the first to say that we will put into practice whatever disciplines are necessary to help us grow. 
to help us become more and more producers of the fruit of the Spirit. If that's true, don't you think that we can trust those who we have selected in leadership? Do you think that we can trust that they are in tune with God's direction even when we don't understand or even when we can't see from their perspective? Can we trust them to steer the vehicle and know that they are not going to run through the back glass? You see, when we start to mature, when we get on the same page as those who are spiritually more mature, when we start to become more and more loving, more and more joyful, more and more peaceful, more and more patient or forbearing, more and more kind, more and more gentle, more and more faithful, more and more self-controlled, when we do all that, we become more and more like Jesus. And isn't that something that we should all strive to do on a daily basis? That's why Christ came, to, that's one of the reasons, the primary reasons that Christ came to this earth. Sure, it was to come and give us relief from our sin, that burden of sin that we have, but it was also to live as an example for us to follow. So when I look at his life, when I look at the life of Christ, it's not just there for good stories, it's there for me to strive to be like. So another sign of spiritual growth, more and more, I find myself loving the way that Jesus loved. The natural question then may become, how do we accomplish this growth? I think the first thing to do would be to figure out how Jesus loved, how Jesus lived. He showed he loved and cared for people by taking care of their physical and their spiritual needs. The bleeding woman from Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. Do you remember the story? I won't, I won't go there just a second because we're running a little bit shorter on time than I was hoping to. But do you remember that story? The woman that came up to him and grabbed his cloak in secret in the middle of the crowd? She was healed immediately. But Jesus didn't let it stop there, did it? He went on to not only heal her physical needs, he gave her spiritual relief as well. Perfection wasn't a, re- a prerequisite to her physical he- healing. He didn't make sure that she was perfect before he let the power come out of him. The power came out and then he addressed the spiritual process. Today, the invitation we offer is, is growth. We have established that your growth and, your, and, and my growth are important to the health of this church. Your growth and my growth are important to the building of God's kingdom. We have established the expectation that we become more and more like followers of Jesus. When we do, we begin to produce more and more of the fruit of the Spirit as we become a fellowship that reflects Jesus. So imagine with me, if you would, what it would look like if we were more and more of what Christ wants us to be. Imagine the difference we could make in Spencerville. Imagine the difference we could make in Montgomery County. And and I say this not lightly because in the last year, I hope that you can look back as an evaluative process and see where we started 2015 and now where we're starting 2016 and see growth, see things that have happened in this community that haven't happened in a really long time. Change is sometimes good. It's not always easy or comfortable, but change is good. Change in our own lives is good too. Today as we close... I want to challenge you. I want, to, I want you to take out your connection cards with me if you don't mind. There should be in your bulletins. If you don't have one, um, maybe grab one. I don't know if anybody's passing them out. Um, but check out the response on the back. 
Today I want to challenge you to choose a characteristic to work on. I want to challenge you to commit yourselves over the next year to set some spiritual goals for yourself and to allow the Holy Spirit to produce those good works of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life in a new and even greater way. So if you think that you can take that challenge, if you think that you can make that spiritual resolution, I want you to go ahead and check the box on your spiritual, um, on your response to today's sermon section, that you will look to find more and more, you will look to find joy even in life's difficult circumstances. And inevitably in 2016, you will come to things that are difficult. But more and more, I want you to hope and, and hold on to that hope and that joy that is always there. It's a constant also, that more and more, you will strive to be more encouraging than critical. And again, realizing it, it's really easy to be critical. It takes some actual thought and forethought to be encouraging. And more and more, I want you to become more and more like Jesus every day. Even if you think that you have come to the point of perfection in your life. I'm not going to say you're wrong, because that would be judgmental. And would not be encouraging. But I would encourage you to grow more and more like Jesus. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your love. Lord, I ask that as we begin this new year that each person in here will have a stronger connection with you today and tomorrow and through the rest of the year than they did the previous day. Father, thank you so much for being with us on a constant basis. Lord, and not giving up on us when we have kind of felt like we've plateaued you still encourage us to grow. Father, thank you so much. We ask that you would go with us this morning. In your name we pray, amen.